I'm honored to have my friend Sean Ricks on the show. Sean Ricks, thanks for being here today, brother. Hey, thank you, Jeff. Good seeing you as always, my man. Yeah, it's great to be here. So tell me, what's what's going on in the life of Sean Ricks today? What are you what are you up to? What's um, driving those passions of yours? Yeah, a, lot, a lot's going on. You know, it's uh, life is good, family's good. You know, I've got four kids. How, how old's your oldest? Uh, 14. 14. Okay, so you're in it. How old's your youngest? Seven. Okay, 14 to seven. There you go. Yeah. And then um, what, what, else, what else is going on besides family? You know, family, you know, community, and then work. Um, work is, uh, I'm, I recently had a change in work career-wise this year, and it's been, uh, it's been amazing. So what's your current role? Um, I'm the CEO of a company called One Solutions. That's amazing. Okay, so let's dig into that for a second. So before we talk about where we are today with One Solutions, let's talk a little bit more about your background to see how we got here. Sure. So when you you went to law school, yeah. But before law, during law school or, or or right before it, you were doing what? Yeah. So you know, most of my career, I've been either working for, supporting, or consulting companies that have large sales organizations. And in I started off as a salesman. Okay. So when I was a freshman in college, I knew I wanted to go to law school. You always knew that. Always knew. Um, I grew up on a farm in Idaho and uh, my dad had a patent and uh, on a potato processing thing. That's cool. And he took me as a young boy, he took me to this place called the Miles Willard Company. And in the lobby of the Miles Willard Company, they've got like a wall full of potato-based products, like potato chips and other things. And next to each of the products, they had a patent plaque. And I looked at it and it kind of like, it blew my mind as a kid. I'm like, wait, you can own an idea, an invention? And so like from pretty young age, I was like, I want to, maybe I want to look into that like patent law. And so when I came down to go to school, um, to be a patent attorney, it's, it's kind of a unique area of the law that in order to be a patent attorney, you actually have to sit for a separate exam and they only let you sit for it if you have uh, engineering or strong science background. Oh, wow. So I, I was like, I'll go down here and study engineering. And in my freshman year of college, I got recruited by my brother-in-law to go sell alarm systems during the summer. And because I knew I wasn't going to do engineering, I was like, yeah, I got my summers free. I'll go do that. And so I actually ended up working that summer selling um, and I ended up doing it for four more summers. So four summers of selling. Five, awesome. five summers. Five total. summers of selling. Yeah. Okay. And you actually managed teams and everything, right? Yeah. I started off as a sales rep. My first summer um, started off kind of rocky. I went to Houston. My office shut down. Oh, well. The president of the company flew out and my manager bailed. Like everyone bailed. And, but my wife and I were just married. We drove from our honeymoon in Vegas, this crappy hotel. Yeah. From there hey, to- Hey, was it worse than the Circus Circus? That was my honeymoon. It, it, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty close. It was the Imperial Palace, which is no longer exists. Yeah. Um, it, but, yeah circus Circus is, it still exists, but it shouldn't. I agree with that. It's on the same level as yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But we drove from Vegas to Houston. Office shut down. We didn't have anything. How, how soon after you had arrived in Houston, the cell did the office shut down? Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Okay. Two weeks. And, you know, all the excuses. Market's bad. Market's saturated. And we know Houston's a great market. Yeah, of course. Um, and the president of the company drove to an ATM, took out like 80 bucks, gave it to me. He's like, drive to Chicago. 
with for eighty with eighty bucks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we drive to Chicago. I end up in an office. I don't know anyone. Um, you know, the, I don't have the the relationships there, and it's basically like float or sink moment sure. for me. And uh, we made it happen. That's awesome. Ended up having a good summer. Loved Chicago. Um, did did really well there. But after that summer, I was like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna do that again, just because it was. It was, it was, it was stressful. Of course. Right? Um, but ended up hearing about an opportunity at another company, summer opened up and that's all she wrote. Did it four more summers, tons of success. Uh, absolutely loved it. Did that cover your law school tuition? Paid for my undergrad, paid for housing, paid for law school, but probably the most valuable thing it paid for. And I was just talking to a guy last uh, earlier this week about this in Denver is it allowed me to fund uh, uh, fertility treatments for my wife. Oh, wow. So we had to do in vitro fertilization, wow. like four rounds of it to get my first son. And I never, I never would have been able to pay for that except for knocking doors. The blessings, the yeah. blessings of I'll, doing I'll, the hard things. I'll forever be grateful for it. That's awesome. Yeah, um, so it's an honor to that industry. It's an honor to guys and the and corporations that are willing to utilize that go-to-market strategy to provide that livelihood for a lot of folks. and set them up for great things in life. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's awesome. Okay, so you graduated from the direct-to-home program. You go into law school. Um, how was law school? Law school was great. Um, it's just a lot of reading. Um, you know, I did my undergrad at the Y. I went to Utah for law school. So I ended up commuting, and I could do all my reading. So University of Utah? School. University of Utah, yeah. And what was your bachelor's in? What was your undergrad in? Mechanical engineering. Okay, got it. So I did that so I could sit for the patent bar. I actually sat for the patent bar my first year of law school and passed. Oh, wow. Um, you can do that before you even finish law school. Fantastic. Which was great. Uh, and when I was in law school, it was kind of a tough time economically. Um, that was a time, and this wasn't unique to Utah, like all law schools, like the economy's crashing 08, 09. Oh, of course. Housing crisis. Housing crisis. The, the majority of the students graduating from law school at that time graduated without a job mm. what um, percentage would you say it was 55 60 percent which is wow. scary people take on loans yeah um they're they've Con just spent three years congratulations you're in massive debt and by the way we have no jobs for you yeah and there's no tolling of your interest your juris doctorate yeah yeah that's right um but all of my my classmates which was just a handful that were eligible to sit for the patent bar we all had jobs. Okay. Because of that one specific yeah. um, specialization that allowed you to be that much more valuable in the marketplace. That That's right. They only let you sit for the, like I said, for the patent bar, if you have that engineering background. And so it's kind of a specialty area. Yeah. Um, great area. Great, great field. You know, if you're going to go into law, that's, that's a great one to go into. And then you, you had jobs at different corporations as their in-house legal counsel. That's right. Correct. And then, correct me if I'm wrong with your timeline, but pre to now your current role as CEO, you were chief legal officer for another firm. That's right. As well, another That's company. That's right. And then at what point did you say, hey, I'd like to pivot in, within the C-suite from a legal only like ladder, like um, role into more of a chief executive officer role? Did something happen or yeah. how, how, did, how did that occur? Yeah, a couple, couple of things actually that led me down this path. Um, and one I've, I've reflected on a lot is I was in a one-on-one -on -one meeting with my, my boss. This was a few years before I made that transition. 
and he was talking to me about career things and he said you know sean you know one thing you may want to ask yourself is do you even want to continue doing law or would you rather be on the business side and at that time, I was almost offended by yeah, it. Yeah, like I was kind of, yeah, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm an attorney. I'm good I'm at it. I'm a patent attorney, bro. Yeah, I'm I good at this. I sat for that thing. Yeah, no, right. And I'm bringing lots of value to the company. Sure. And the, the reason he said that, and we've, I've talked to him about it since, is because it's something that he's always wondered for himself. For himself. So he was reflecting. Yeah. Because he's, I think he'd always wanted to do that. And he'd had opportunities to do it, and he didn't take them. Got it. And so that was, that was one moment that impacted my decision. The second moment was when I was working for a company as chief legal officer, we were raising capital for a round of financing. Sure. And I had some contacts at a private equity firm that I went and, you know, I volunteered. I'm like, oh, I'll go, I'll reach out to my contacts there to see if they want to invest. As, yeah, as part of fundraising efforts for the firm. That's right. And in talking to them, they started to talk to me about companies that they like to invest in. And they started talking to me about this roofing company that they just bought. And so I, I was like, oh, have you guys, what about this or this or this? And the conversation evolved to where like, actually with your background, Sean, <laughs> we would love to talk to you more and almost bring you on as like an advisor to us. And I was like, yeah, like whatever. And uh, those conversations continued and it was almost like a reverse Uno card. I was originally pitching them to invest and now it turned into them recruiting me and giving me an opportunity to come in to run the organization, uh, the, the roofing company with, with, with the ability to grow it through acquisitions, which they would help fund. That's awesome. So what were the things that you mentioned that caught their attention? Like what were some of those strategies, some of those, hey, have you considered this? We're like, hey, you are the guy that we want on board over here. Yeah, that's a great question. So some of the topics that we hit on were like, you know, and this is from my experience with past companies, but have you have you looked at other channel partners? Have you looked at, you know, lead flows in from these other industries or even being able to sell lead flow into other industries to create extra revenue? And, you know, questions around that or have you thought about doing this on the recruiting front? Or what about this on, on uh, you know, geographic expansion? And so those types of questions that is a muscle that I had developed, you know, over the course of my full career in supporting large sales organizations that was very attractive to them. And you probably got the hands, like probably the best experience that you got for those conversations was by knocking personal doors and understanding that channel. 100%. Okay, beautiful. So now we talked about patents here for a minute, patent attorney. Do you hold any patents personally? Yeah, I'm an inventor on a handful of patents. Oh, there you go. Um, can you tell us how many or is that kind of... No, yeah, it's a seven patents. That's seven. That's awesome. Yeah. And how does that... So again, how old were you when you first saw that wall in the lobby and you saw the patents up there and you're like, oh, I could do this. I could own this idea. Yeah, I think I was probably 13 years old. So now seeing where you are now, you hold seven patents. How do you reflect now as that 13-year-old Sean? How does that? How yeah, now I've got a patent plaque hanging on my wall in my office now. That's awesome. Um, not, I don't have all seven, but I've got one up there. Um, and probably like the most exciting thing for me was, was towards the end of my you know, uh, journey with that company is I was starting to monetize our patents. And that was really exciting. That's cool. Because legal departments are typically viewed as a cost center. It's sure. just a cost of doing business. And I was on a path of turning it into a profit center. That's cool. Um, so I was 
So th this is what's interesting as I hear the story and I see how you react to your story, the smiles, you know, the, yeah, sure. the aura. Um, but we talk about this all the time. It's the law of the two creations, right? You always create everything at least twice in life. Once in ideology and imagination and vision, you put it on paper and then you actually make it happen in actuality. So you caught that vision really early on in your teenage years, formidable years. And you were able to take that vision, do the things that you needed to do, get the good grades, get accepted into um, your undergrad, get accepted into graduate school, do the engineering path, the whole nine, because you had a vision. Yeah. You had that creation. Yeah. You saw it and then you made it happen in its physical form. And that's life. So we talk about this too, but quite often we just kind of live our life meandering and we let life happen with whatever's coming our way instead of us designing it and going for it. So again, living life by design, not by default, the law of the two creations, like just designing it so that it happens for you in actuality. Life happens for us, not to us. That That's crazy that at age 18, at age 13, you could already see that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I, I that, that resonates with me, right? Cause, cause I've lived it. And, uh, you know, I think as you put forth effort, like life also rewards effort. Yeah, life responds to effort. 100%. One of our big mentors, Todd Peterson, says that all the time. And he learned that from his dad. 100% agree with that. And I've seen that. And then the second thing I would say is as you put forth that effort, opportunities will present themselves to you. Mm. And you've got to be willing to jump at those opportunities. Yeah. And you're and, commanding the opportunities to happen for you. I love right. that. Okay. So then uh, we'll get back into um, the CEO role. Cars. I know you're super passionate about cars. What's the best brand in the world, according to Sean Ricks? No, I'm, a, I'm a huge Porsche fan. There you go. So why Porsche? And and I'm sure we have a lot of car enthusiasts watching or soon-to-be car enthusiasts once you yeah, give us your sure. feedback. Yeah, sure. Like, look, there's, I, and I, I'm a lover of all car brands. Sure. Um, but, but that's like, to me, that's the best brand. I don't own a Porsche right now. But I love them. And you will have one, right? One day? Yeah, of course, right? That's part of your law to creations here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, beautiful, the, the beautiful thing about Porsches is, because I like, I like to go to the track. I like to race. I've raced in karting leagues. I had my race license for a little while. Um, have you been to the one in LA? Um, I've, the PECLA, the Porsche yeah. Experience Center. Yeah. That's cool. I've BDU. been down there. I've been out to Thermal, the, you know, in Palm Springs. I've been out to... The Porsche Sport Driving School in Alabama three separate times. That's where I got my race license. So when I went to Pecla not too long ago, you're the first one I texted. Because yeah. I knew that you'd be the one that would really value that. I'm, I'm all about that. that I was going through. Yeah, no, it's such a great experience. But that's the cool thing about Porsches is you can drive them as a daily driver. And you can get after them hard. You can drive them to the racetrack. Get on the track. Do your sessions. And then drive them home. There aren't many brands of cars that you can do that in. Right? where they don't break down or have some other issues or it's like, I don't know if this is going to make it there or back. Um, but with a Porsche, that's what they're designed to do. That's awesome. And, and, and even at, in Alabama, we would flog on the cars like hard. And the only thing they have to change is, is brake pads and tires. It's awesome. So we talk a lot about culture on this show and just designing everything. And I know Porsche is all about design. Yeah. So I guess what life lessons um, can we take from Porsche in business, everyday life, et cetera? Because everything correlates. Like you love Porsche for a reason, and I'm sure you've been able to take what they do and implement it a lot in your business life as well. Yeah, no, I think 
Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I like Porsche because of performance, right? They're, they're engineered to perform. And in my experience in going to some of those driving schools is the whole point of those instructors is they just want you to go faster because they know the cars can handle it. So let's, let's get you to where you're not driving the car like 80%, 85%, 90%. Let's get you to where you're driving at 100%. They want to be unleashed. 100%. That's their job. Yeah, that's right. And, and which is awesome. And, and you can learn from that. And then in business, it's the same thing. We all have potential. Um, where are we at on our own potential? Are we at 80%, 85%? We need to get to 100%. And so that's, that's, that's probably like the, the correlation I would draw is like, you know, we, we all have machines that can, can do great things, our own potential. Um, I, I truly believe that. Like we're all, we can, we can all achieve great things and, and do great things. And, and that doesn't necessarily have to be in the business world. It can just be in your own circle with your family. You know, it could be with your, your garden in your backyard. We can all do the great things. It's like, where are we on that, that percentage meter, right? And, and so we want to be at 100%. Yeah. So, so I think some people, when they hear that, are like, oh my gosh, 100% at this, that, and the garden even. Like, yeah, sure. chill out for a second. But I, I believe in this. I, I believe building and doing great things that's energizing and maintaining is fatigue. So it, we're not saying be on this constant treadmill and always give your best and yeah. never rest and never sleep. No, what we're saying is like, go for greatness. That's where the energy is. That's where the fun is. Like winning is fun and, and doing great things is fun. Like go seek that out, do it in a fun fashion, not in an exhausting fashion. Yeah. So I guess my next question would be is you personally, and then with your team that you manage or you lead at work, what do you do to extract their ultimate potential in an energetic way where they don't feel like you're just coming down on them and saying, do more, do more, where it's actually a leadership principle of influence where they want to do it for themselves. How do you, how do you extract that potential? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not my style to come down on anyone like that. It's more about the, the collaborative messaging of like, Hey, here's, we all know where we're headed. This is our goal. We've set the metric. We've set the mark. Now let's go build together because building is energizing. And so just encouraging the team. I, I'm lucky right now. I have phenomenal leaders on my team. Like I, I couldn't ask for better partners and they're all engaged and they're all working hard and, and they're all enjoying it. Like it's building is fun. And so just, just harnessing that kind of collaborative uh, mindset and in that we're all in this together, like, we're all marching towards the same thing is, 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 is been really effective. And then how do you do that? That's great. And then how do you do that on a personal level where you don't feel like you're becoming stagnant? What do you do systematically to get that potential out of Sean Ricks? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, this is something that I, I learned from my wife. My wife is phenomenal at like setting goals and working towards things and, and building talents and developing them. And so as I, as I work to like set goals and say, where do I want to be? And, and we know this, like this, these are common, like daily goals, weekly, monthly, yearly, that helps drive me. Like, where do I want to be? How do I get there? And you set the goals to get there. I, I, and then the success comes after the effort, right? And then do you look at the whole person paradigm? Do you look, okay, this is what I'm trying to do intellectually, physically, yeah, spiritually. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's awesome. And then do you, do you systematically do like Sunday planning like a lot of folks do? Or how, how does that system work for you? Yeah, that, that's right. Sunday, I've, I've kind of adopted that as well. 
is on Sunday. You know, some people, most people do it Sunday mornings. I'll do it Sunday night. Time to reflect. And I'll write down like, here, here, here's what I need to do this week. And then here are my goals for this week. And I keep track of that throughout the week and check those things off. And then by you doing that, do you, I mean, for me, it's like you're already creating the week before the week even happens. Yeah. Because you know exactly where you need to be. Yeah. How you need to be, how you need to show yourself and what your non-negotiables are. That's right. Right. So again, for everybody watching Sunday designing, Sunday's a great day. It's day number one of the week. It, it's traditionally a day of reflection, That's a day right. of planning, and then get the family together so that we know what all the different activities are that we need to be present at. Like 100%. I said before, those non-negotiables. That, that's right. I would be lost without my family calendar, right? Oh, of course. I have to have it. Um, and I love the principle of the non-negotiables too, as, as you know, that's been shared on your podcast. It's, yeah. it's just, it's fantastic. Well, you know, and I, I'll have been married for 25 years here coming soon. Congratulations. Thanks. And, you know, with Shamila and I, what really helps is when I know what is, what's important to her, for her, and what's important, and she knows what's important for me then we know that we're marching towards that and we know what kind of energy that requires yeah. for what we're doing. So when I'm, when I may not be able to answer a phone call or whatever, she knows exactly why. So there's no frustration there Yeah. where frustration sets in, in a marriage or any type of relationship. It's when there's mismanaged expectations, meaning I called you an answer. I have no idea why, but when they know why I called you an answer, but I know why. So I'm not frustrated because we've communicated it. That's right. We've we've talked about it. That's right. We've set the roadmap. Your train is on the tracks going for X, so I know what it is that you're doing, so I'm good with you not answering the phone. Yeah. So it's that constant key communication. Okay, so as a CEO, has that been difficult? I know you have a great team, but has it still been challenging moving from the chief legal officer hat to a chief executive officer which is the chief evangelist officer yeah that's right how's that how's that been you know what i got asked this question from a you know a business leader recently like has it been harder or easier than you thought sean and in my answer to that is it's just been different um and what i mean by that like i i love it first of all it's it's been great not to have to wear the legal hat all the time sure um i can turn that on if i need to um but it's been different in that I thought I would be managing more systems, which which we're getting to, and it's a lot of that. But it's been a lot of people management, which has actually been really enjoyable uh, because of the talent and the colleagues that I work with. Um, being able to work collaborative, collaboratively with them is, has been has been great. Have I learned a lot? And I yeah, absolutely, and I have a lot more to learn. Uh, but it's it's been a great like growth growth experience for me personally. If, if you were to tell me what the number one thing is that you've learned thus far, what would that be? That, that's a great question. Um, I didn't learn this immediately, but I learned it, you know, about uh, a few months after I started. And it has to do with like where I should be putting my focus in this role. And and uh, this was actually like, it was like light bulb clicked. And, and I was talking to someone and... They basically asked me, they're like, what are you spending your time on? And and as I thought through that and kind of mapped it out, it's it's really like, what should I be spending mm. my time on? And it's really just one thing. What is moving the needle for the business? And if if my energies or my time are be, is, is spent on things that aren't moving the needle, should not be doing it. It's business Period. instead of business. Yeah. 
You don't be in the business of busyness, be in the business of business. There's nothing more worthless than doing something really well that never needed to be done at all in the first place. Yeah. So don't do the things that don't matter. Do the things that actually move the needle and that push the business forward where you're in the highest and best use of your time. I love that. that, that that's right. And, and it's not that those other things maybe don't matter, but it's like, should someone else be doing of that? Course. So I can be focused on the bigger strategic Which things. Which other people cannot do. Again, being exactly. in the highest and best use of your time. And I think, I think a lot of us as leaders need to truly understand what that is. You know, a lot of us need to ask ourselves, what business am I in? What business am I really in? And then what business should I be in? Yeah. So now go ahead. You yeah, that's something. just that that's something I reflect on a lot is is, you know, the Sunday planning is also reflecting on what happened in the last week and where did I spend my time and should I have been spending that much effort or time on those certain things? And then you pivot and you yeah. learn and you grow from that. Yeah, I love that. Um it's basically Sunday's your your coach. Yeah, that's right? right. You can't correct your own golf swing. You need a coach to correct your golf swing. And your Sunday planning is a systematic approach where that becomes your coach so that you can correct the following week, right? That's right. So as you're planning your 52-week file every single week, you're just improving, 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 improving. Yeah, that's right. So for everybody tuning in, tell, tell us what, what, what the business does. So it's roofing, but, but yeah. what, you, no, have a, I, you have a different strategy. Yeah, no, I'm excited about roofing. So, you know... And, and, and you, you, you'll hear this from me, but I, uh, I've spent my whole career supporting sales orgs, you know, especially orgs that in, engage in direct sales, but I didn't know about roofing. And, and really, as I've gotten to learn about it, like I'm blown away at the opportunity. I really don't know why if you're in direct sales, you'd be doing anything else. Now I'm biased, but I mean that. Uh, and so what we do is we do, we are growing to be the largest residential re-roofer in America. And, and so we've got a footprint across the United States now, um, fantastic team members, and we will help homeowners and, and that's the majority of what we do, but we also do commercial industrial as well, but we are primarily re-roofing. We're not doing new construction. So when roofs get damaged, which happens across America and, and statistically 77% of all roofs that get inspected have damage that requires repair, 77%. We've got an aging home stock in America. Um, and so there's just, there's so much work that needs to be done, but it's, it's an area where it's kind of out of sight, out of mind for most homeowners. It's like, well, if my roof isn't leaking, like, should I be inspecting my roof? And so uh, the services that we provide is we can go up and inspect the roofs. If there is damage, we help shepherd the process for a homeowner to get a new roof. And, and the beauty of it is, is in most cases, their insurance company will actually cover the cost of the roof replacement because they're they're incented to replace the roof because it'll prevent a larger claim down the road. And so that's that in a nutshell is our business. And so we're, we're growing our organization by bringing on more talented people to help shepherd homeowners and in project manage these jobs. You know, we have hundreds of project managers across the U S and we build hundreds of roofs, re roof hundreds of homes per week along with other big projects. And so that's kind of our business. Um, and, and there's all these areas of growth. We're, we're doing more commercial work now. We're, we're, uh, we're expanding our geography and our footprint and it's, it's just a tremendous opportunity. Yeah. It sounds like you're having a lot of fun with it. And then you're doing a lot of roll-ups, are you not just consolidating some of the industry just to create more efficiencies? Yeah. Great question. And so we, we are growing through acquisition, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily term it like roll-up because okay. a lot of roll-ups, they acquire companies and they're kind of siloed off. Okay. 
Um, what we're doing is much more collaborative. Like, much so more if, of an economy of scale. Yeah, in, in, in that, you know, this is part of why we call our company One Solutions is we have one kind of operating procedure across our org. All of our business leaders kind of come from one origin. They've all worked together before. Oh, really? Yeah. Really tight-knit? Yeah, super tight-knit, which is beautiful for us because it makes things easier to collaborate on. Um, and we kind of have one goal as an org. And so we're all marching across that. So, you know, depending on the footprint, you might have a different logo on your your polo or a different logo on your truck, a business card, but it's the same program. It's, it's one. We so, act as one. But So once they become a part of one solution... Do they still wear their emblem? Do they still yeah. wear their specific logo? Yeah, depending on the geography, yeah. That's cool. And so we, we, we've acquired some fantastic companies. Um, we've done a couple acquisitions this year. We're looking at some others. And then we're also growing organically. So the existing brands that we have, being able to expand those brands into new geographies is, is part of our strategy. And are you actively, are you actively going to be acquiring in 2024 as well? If the right opportunities present themselves, absolutely. So you have a big enough purse to continue the acquisition oh, yeah. process. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then this is, this is an interesting question. So I've seen, I've seen um, acquisitions a lot. I've seen consolidation. I've seen, you know, a lot of firms trying to create these or creating these economies of scale. When you're taking all these different operators and some of our multi-generational operators, by the way, yeah. how do you get them to come into one um, entity and practice all the systems and the culture and kind of the, the org chart of one when they were used to running their own show. Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. And so that's, that's been where we, we, I feel, you know, kind of lucky in that the, the, the commonality of the origin of our business leaders is that they have worked together. So inherently they already have practices that are somewhat similar. So kind of merging those processes and procedures across our org hasn't been too big of a lift, but it is a lift right to get everything so it's it's seamless that's part of our messaging is that if you did move from one market to another even for the other company within the org it's the same program and so you and, know and, and what's the benefit for them coming on board with you versus staying solo in a silo yeah um it's it's growth we know this right as as companies grow with that comes opportunity and so if let's say you're in sales if you're in sales and your company operates just one, you know, one area, you're kind of limited on your potential there. But if you're now part of a sales organization that has a footprint, you know, across the entire nation, your opportunity to grow there is just, it's, it's unlimited. Yeah. You can service a, a larger total addressable market. That's right. And okay. you can recruit in different markets and you can have teams in different markets and, and, and then you can drive you. down your HR cost, your legal cost, your accounting cost. You just create all those efficiencies where not every single person has to create that GNA. They can just share the GNA at the top co. That's right. Centralizing, okay. you know, a lot of those types of services is it just it becomes very efficient. Okay. And now what would be the most challenging thing that you're dealing with right now being a CEO? Um I it goes back to kind of like that that big learning I had this year is just making sure I'm managing my time to what moves the needle. Sure. Right. Okay. That, that would probably be the biggest, so it's one of the things that you've learned, but it's also one of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome. Sure. Cause there's things that part of the struggle is like, there's things that need to be tackled and I know I can go tackle them, but is that the best use of my time? Got it. Okay. And so that, just, 
And I'm sure that's kind of been tough for you because from what I know of you is you like just let's go attack this thing. Let's get out of the way. Let's move. Let's go. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I mean, with the legal background, too, it's like even with legal things, it's like I'll just I can just do that myself. And it's like, ah, I got people that can do that now. And and I was going to ask you, too, on the legal thing. So so when you're an attorney, when you're a legal officer, you're risk adverse. You have to be. Absolutely. Role, yeah. Right. If you're if you're the one driving production and driving revenue and not paying attention to the protection of the company, you can get in trouble. You have your role for a reason. So how have you have you been able to bifurcate that legal mentality and go into growth mode where you're just pushing revenue and yeah. still being yeah. that attorney like yeah. in here? I, you know, I think about this. I, I think if I had gone maybe a traditional route through law school, I don't think I could. I think the the ability for me to do that comes from my background in sales. I'm a champion of the sales org. I used to be a sales guy. And so, you know, taking those types of, you know, I won't call them risks, but being less risk adverse than most attorneys comes from my background in sales. I, I know what, I know, I know what we need to do to hit our goals. I know how to get there. And, and uh, some of that takes like, some bets and yeah. some risks. Yeah, I think what's interesting is you know what it takes to onboard a customer. You know what it takes to create an account. You know what it takes to drive revenue. I think some folks that haven't played in that arena think that it just happens by happenstance or it should come easily. It's it's hard. It's hard yeah. to make a buck. It's yeah. hard to onboard a customer. Like there's so many there, there's so many comp- there's so many competitors out there and so many places in which dollars can go that you have to really take care of those sales that are coming in. That's right. And nothing happens without a sell. So you understanding it, understanding that and understanding that sales is an honorable thing and can be done with elegance and with beauty, then you're willing to champion that process with your legal background. That's right. So that's, that's I, I mean, I, props to the people that recruited you because they saw that in you and they saw that that was exactly what they needed for their firm. Somebody that understands the the implications of, of not doing things the right way, but also that can drive the revenue. So you're like that, you're like that uh, Swiss army knife as a CEO, which is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So this has been fantastic. A lot, a lot of gems, a lot of great um, takeaways. So why don't we end with this? If, if you're to name just a few things in which um, Sean Ricks or things that you've learned and, and it can be in the, anything in the whole person paradigm, with what you can do to live more of your life by design instead of by default, what would that be? What counsel can you send us off with for today's episode? Yeah, I think I think uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, what, what I would say is, and I talk about this a lot, and, and it has to do with uh, kind of social or like people relationships, is one one thing that helps me as I look at situations or deal with you know issues or just anything is always trying to put yourself, and it's hard, but put yourself in the shoes of the other party, right? And look at things from their perspective. And, and when you do that, it allows you, I think, to have more empathy, to, to see, you know, the, the other perspective gives you, um, you know, empathy, sympathy, understanding, and, and that helps build relationships, it helps resolve conflicts, and, and it can help you achieve your goals, right? And so just learning to like flex that, that empathy muscle and, and understanding is, it can be a superpower, I think, and it's not easy. I'm still learning. 
Um, I'm not the best at it. I'm, I'm trying to do my best, but, but that's, that's been, that's been something that's helped me. And then the other thing I would share is, you know, I love to talk about this, but from knocking doors as a salesman, some of like the non-tangible skills that I learned. So learning how to be comfortable in a situation that may be awkward or uncomfortable has just aided me immensely throughout my career. It's helped me in a courtroom, in settlement negotiations, in, you know, in contract negotiations, and in and now as as a, on the business side as a business leader, those 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 in you know, that skill set of learning how to be comfortable in those situations just aided me immensely and, and helps me reach my goal. So just uh you know, that, that would be one as far as like living life by design, um, you know, put yourself out there, um, learn, learn those new things, like take advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves and then just work hard. Right. You, you know, life, like we talked about earlier, rewards effort. I love that. Yeah. So many different gems, man. Yeah. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you, brother. I've learned Likewise. so much from you. You've been a phenomenal partner of mine. I consider you a very close friend. I wish you the the most success that anybody can wish you, not just in your new role as a CEO, but just in life in general. You're Thank a you, phenomenal Jeff. human being. So much love to you, brother. Thanks for being a part of this thing. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you.